This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mass Bay Guides. Mass Bay Guides is our family-run charter fishing fleet that's based out of Situate, Massachusetts. We've been providing anglers with the ultimate fishing adventure for over 20 years. Whether you're looking to put together a multi-boat corporate fishing trip, a trip for your family, or you're an avid angler looking to catch a giant bluefin tuna, our crew will do anything it takes to make sure you and your friends and your family have a great day on the water. To book a trip with us, please visit the Mass Bay Guides website, www.massbayguides.com. You can search prices, trip information, and get the latest reports and links to our social media pages there. You can also find us directly on Facebook and Instagram and just search Mass Bay Guides. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Costa Sunglasses. If you didn't know already, Costa makes the best fishing sunglasses in the game as far as we're concerned. They've been the only sunglasses that Taylor and I have worn for the last decade. The honest, honest truth. That's all we've worn for, for the last 10 years um, of our fishing career. Whether you go with uh, the blue mirror lenses for your bright, clear days offshore, we use those a lot for the canyons or you decide on the green mirror lenses for inshore shallow water applications, you really can't go wrong with, with any of the lens colors that contain their, their 580 color enhancing polarized lens technology. All of the frames are high performance, high quality. Personally, I'm a big fan of the Fantails. I don't have a super big head. They're a medium frame fit. They've been my go-to frame for the last 10 years. Um, I have them in three different lens colors, blue mirror, green mirror and the new sunrise silver, which has been awesome on overcast days, which anyone who tuna fishes knows those are the days that we dream about, but those have been, those have been great. That new color lens has been awesome. If, uh, if you visit costadelmar.com, you can see all of the products they have to offer and pick yourself up a pair. Costa sunglasses, see what's out there. This episode is also brought to you by deep. New England born and bred, Deep is inspired by the fit of the skate and surf retail world, anchored in the technical aspects of the outdoor and offshore fishing apparel market. Deep designs clothes that bring comfort in the elements and also at the bar and restaurant. If you visit shopdeep.com and use the promo code CBROS35, that's with a capital S E A B R O S 35, you'll get 35% off your next order. Our newest sponsor to the podcast is LT Marine Products. Since 2011, LT Marine has been designing and developing innovative, unique, and high-quality American-made sport fishing equipment. Taylor and I have known the crew at LT since they started. Chris is a great guy. Uh, We've been using every single piece of equipment um, that he's he's made over the last several years. his rod holders are extremely heavy duty and high quality. He has the machining equipment to be able to put your boat name on the face plates um, and do other custom work as well, which is pretty cool. Um, and recently, over the last couple of years, we've worked with him to develop some new products that have actually been very popular amongst the the Northeast um Northeast fishermen, specifically offshore and uh, and tuna fishermen. So two of those products have been his uh, his swim hook for if you're harvesting a big big giant tuna. Um, 
you know, you want to take care of that fish as, as best you can prior to bringing him on board. And part of that process is after the fight, swimming the fish, you know, for a certain amount of time, kind of depending on the health of the fish and, and how the fight went, but usually ends up being around an hour to get all the lactic acid out of the muscles and, and give a, a better product at the end of the day when we, when we sell our, when we sell our fish. So we helped him design a, an affordable swim hook to be able to tow the fish behind the boat at a low speed and, and accomplish that goal. So, um, that was a pretty cool product that we, that we collaborated on. And another one is, uh, the new LT Marine, uh, release hook. We've been doing a lot of release fishing for giants uh, over the last couple of years with the way that the quota, the quota has been open and closed. So we've really had a need for a way to properly revive these fish and get them back into, uh, into good health upon release. So um, if you go on the LT Marine website, you can see the release hook there. Uh, you can also go on our Instagram, Facebook, and see how we have it rigged. But it's a it's a tool that we've implemented um, into our our process aboard our boats, and and it um, it makes releasing fish a lot safer for the crew, a lot better for the fish, and um, it's a really high quality product. Um, we used it all season, never had a problem, never broke it. So definitely check out that new that new release hook um, from LT. Um, or if you want to see any of Chris's products, uh, you can visit ltmarineproducts.com or check him out on Facebook and Instagram. Our next sponsor is Black Oak LED. Black Oak LED manufactures high-quality LED lighting at a reasonable price for many different industries, including hunting, fishing, military, and tactical. If you're looking to upgrade the cockpit lights, spotlights, under gunnel lights, underwater lights on your boat, uh, make sure you check out Black Oak LED at www.blackoakled.com or at Black Oak LED on Instagram. Uh, Taylor and I just purchased the 360 Marine LED light bar kit uh, with the 30-inch light bar uh, for the new um, the new Line Shy. It's the name of our new center console that will be running um, starting next season. So. That kit includes a 30-inch light bar, like I said, and then four flood combos uh, that we're going to kind of spread out evenly across the T-top to um, to illuminate the deck and um, help us get bait on, in low-light conditions. Uh, all that for around 1000 bucks. It's a great price point, awesome product, um, and they have a lifetime warranty. If you need lights and want to go with Black Oak, please make sure you use our promo code GIANTBLUEFIN. Uh, that's all one word, capital G, for 20% off your order. Our guest on this episode of the podcast is one of the pioneers of daytime sword fishing in the Northeast Canyons. He has over 75 overnight offshore trips under his belt, including many fishing with his entire family aboard their 61-foot Richie Howell, Tokotomist. Earlier in his fishing career, he spent time in the cockpit of the Canyon Runner, fishing with renowned captains, Captain Mark de Blasio, Dean Lambros, and Mark DeCabia, who's been on the podcast before. Our guest's recent fishing program has him freelancing on many private sport boats in the Northeast, as well as fishing with Captain Damon Sacco aboard the Castafari for several trips every season. 
Our guest also has a well-established record in many of the blue water tournaments in the Northeast, and he's adapted his deep drop methods to be fully IGFA compliant, making him very successful in local events in recent years. We had a lot of fun recording this episode. Taylor and I learned a lot about daytime sword fishing um, from our guest. A lot of laughs, a lot of great, great fish stories, um, some scary ones too. Detailed tactics. This is a really good one. We think uh, we think everyone's going to enjoy enjoy this conversation that we we had with our guests. So, without further ado, please welcome Captain Tommy Howd. Welcome to the Seabros Fishing Podcast. So, what story were you guys telling? Okay, what, we, we what, just, what were you fixing well, on first, the boat? First, I I said how we fixed the hydraulic or hydraulic hose basically blew up on the fortuna too fighting a fish and we used a 13 inch shell squid and slid it in half and put it over the hose and some pipe clamps and electrical tape and got all the way home with without a drop of fluid leaking and then he was talking about oh yeah so I, unfortunately i was i wasn't as creative about fixing the, the issue since we blew up one of the engines basically but we uh we were 10 knotting at home from the canyons. We were out in the deep sword fishing and we we're like, all right, this, we got to get, we got to get going. We got to get home and a long ride at 10 knots. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I was like, well, you know what? You know what? Fuck it. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's throw out like a half ass spread. And, uh, so we're coming up over the edge and like in a hundred fathoms and all of a sudden <laughs> there he is. <laughs> 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 Just absolutely freaking start getting dumped. By a freaking like five six hundred pound blue one. Oh my god! <laughs> and and I was like, there's there's nothing I can do. I've got one engine. I can't spin the boat on a dime. We can't chase after this freaking thing. And so you're just like, you know what? Let's see how well our gear holds up. So we just pulled that thing to full. The whole reel was like evaporating. <laughs> I was like, I was like screaming at my brother. I was like, do not lose all of our freaking backing on this freaking fish. Break it. Uh, it was great though he got back down we probably had about 50 wraps left on the spool and ping, finally got it broke them off and actually it uh usually it breaks it up broke right the, on the leader probably right up yeah, close to broke, it? yeah broke uh broke right up on the actually down by the hook oh perfect yeah it was yeah. perfect but i mean i probably had like 80 pounds of drag <laughs> on the freaking thing at that point i was like all right gear gears holding up yeah that's perfect. awesome dude yeah all right, we're going to change it up a little bit. All right, so I don't know how many podcasts you listen to, but we got this idea um, to do like a, a rapid fire little series of questions here for right, you. Right off the bat. Right off the bat. So the first, right thing that, the, the first thing that comes to mind is your answer. Okay. It can be a one-word answer. It can be we, – we might be intrigued by your answer and have to ask you why you answered that way. <laughs> But most of them are most of them are fishing related. A, a couple of them are just random questions, but um, it's just a good way to get the conversation started. So, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Bait fishing or trolling? Trolling. Okay. Well, good stuff. <laughs> depend. Yeah, I mean, canyons, <laughs> trolling, except for sword fishing. I'm bait fishing. Okay. Okay. I'm with you yeah. there. Um, circle hooks or J hooks? J hooks. Okay. 
<laughs> What's your favorite hook? Um, seventy six ninety one Mustad. If you could use, so if you only had one hook, you could use. You had one choice. That was it. Going to the canyons, you can only pick one hook. Is that the hook you'd pick? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Okay. Dude, everyone's hook has been different. Every 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 single person's hook has been different. It's unbelievable. Um, down east, there's sportfish. Sportfish. Why? Why? Why the sportfish? Because uh, you because you own. I'm a, the... I, I like the the comfort the the creature of comfort. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Be able to go go in and uh, you know take a nap a little bit easier and actually I, I i like fishing it a little bit better um specifically for you know trolling in the canyons I, I just feel like you get a little bit more room a little bit more visibility getting up top i haven't fished on a on a down east boat that has had too much of a tower you get too much more of that vantage point and, um i think i think also you know you can do a little bit more in terms of chasing fish around with the with the sport boat as opposed Definitely. to the down east boat. The maneuverability is just a little bit easier there. I do have to say though, if I'm specifically targeting tuna, I like being on a down east boat. Yeah, if I was fishing up on the bank with you guys, I'd be hundred percent down east boat. Yeah, it's nice to have that speed to the canyons too. It is. Yeah. Um, all right, all right. This is when it gets a little chippy. Billfish or tuna? Oh, <laughs> that is this does get chippy. I'm gonna go with uh, with billfish only because of swordfish. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have that much the you know passion for for white marlin or sailfish. Blue ones are cool, but uh, swordfish I'll take all day over tunas. But I'll take I'll take tunas over white marlin. I haven't caught enough swordfish to be able to like I I, yeah, to I look can't. at it from that perspective, you know. I will say though, every sword I've ever caught, after we you know get it or lose it or whatever, I'm always amazed at how there's there seems to be absolutely no pattern to how they they fight. Like there's like commonalities across, maybe across like a a lot of them, like like you have, but I've never hooked one that's fought the same as the next. Maybe he'll speak to that, you know. So, yeah, I'm sure we get to that at some point. But the one thing that I see the majority of them do is if you if you don't get them like right off the rip, at some point in the fight they dig and they they basically put their head down and they sw- swim to the wheel. Huh. They instead of like doing like you know the typical pinwheels like a tuna, they've got this notorious ability to put their beak into the wheel. <laughs> they they just. They, for some reason, they can feel where that wheel is, and they, they swim towards it. It's bizarre, but a lot of them do it, especially the bigger fish. Hmm. Interesting. I've actually, I mean, I've heard other that guys say terrifying. that, too. Yeah, that sounds horrible. Yeah, some of the bigger bluefin do that, but <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't want that on every single fish. Yeah, it's a pain. You try and keep them off the corner, and they just keep kind of angling right back under the boat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Big eyes or bluefin? Big eyes. 
Why? We'll, yeah. d- we'll just hey, guys, agree I, to I, disagree I, on that one. But <laughs> <laughs> why big um, eyes? I well, for for one, I think it's there's nothing quite like getting a wolf pack of big eyes. That I, yeah, I, I think that that's probably the primary reason. I I've yet to, you know. I've had a couple times where he doubled up on bluefin, but you know, it's, it's actually, I had a triple down in North Carolina when we were used to troll for him on the Canyon runner, but you know, it's, it's nothing like seeing five or six bombs being dropped behind the boat with big eyes going yeah. off. Um, when they're crushing they just, the flat lines and you're getting wet, that's, oh, that's it's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. And I'm still convinced that you know if they if those big guys got the size of blue fins, that would be just sickening. Yeah, it would. <laughs> they just Especially fight like pound how fat. They are pound for pound. They fight hard, man. They do, but they're still not as big as blue fins. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, fishing pet peeves. Oh man, I I've got a big list here. Um improper tackle storage yeah it drives me nuts when i get on a boat and there's like a tackle drawer and there's like water in it and everything's like (laughs) rusted all brown nasty and like leaders are coiled up the size of a tennis ball and it's like (laughs) it's like come on what are we what are we doing here guys let's take care of our gear yeah uh yeah that's that's definitely one one of my biggest ones and then um you know probably just people that don't pay attention i think that's another frustration it's like biggest pet peeve you know you're out there and you're trying to get it done and people don't pay attention and you miss a bite or you drop a fish or you get somebody that's so excited they you know they they birds nest the reel or whatever and it's it's i get it you won't you get excited but paying attention man yeah what's your biggest pet peeve Bry? i can tell you mine but mine? you go first i mean tackle storage and stuff is up there he has a lot of pet peeves you can see he's twitching right now <laughs> i mean number one for me is definitely safety like if someone is just you know i've done some guide trips and stuff and you know not to name names and, and people learn obviously but you know heading out in the pea suit fog low light like radar isn't even on you know, yeah, it's just, just like shit. just stuff like that. Simple, yeah. simple, you know, easily fixable safety things is probably my number one. What about fishing related? Oh, fishing related? In the canyons, biggest pet peeve. When people like freak out on a, and I, we've all been there, but when you don't relax on like an end game shot and you just start throwing sharp objects at everything, you know, that probably frustrates me. There's a me couple a boats on TV that do that. <laughs> <laughs> one in particular that i can't even watch uh, uh my biggest pet peeve is when you rig up this beautiful ballyhoo and the guy just throws it over the side yeah yeah the, the head you know the head's all over the place the freaking hair's in a knot the you know the ballyhoo's bent yeah doesn't you know didn't limber the ballyhoo out whatever that drives me yeah. nuts. And, and he has all the confidence in the world just dropping it back. And you're looking at it like, that thing isn't going to catch shit. <laughs> freaking spinning around. Spinning and around. Giant circles. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that's a big pet peeve. I forgot about that one. I, I actually go so far as every single ballyhoo that I put in the water. I, I think I've shown you guys how I like to rig rig yeah. my ballyhoos with yep. the split bill and the Joe shoot rig there. But um, I, I swim them all. Or I have whoever's in the cockpit. And if I'm if I'm up on the bridge, I'll have somebody just hey put that put it in the water, put it behind the boat, like on a flat line position for. 10 seconds make sure it's swimming right before you put it up in the riggers right just because you know you that 10 seconds you know i know every every minute counts when you're out in the canyons but 10 seconds isn't going to make or break you but if you're trolling a bad bait for five hours that is going to break you absolutely yeah we do the same yep stingers even like as far yeah as far as stingers and stuff for spreader bars we do the same thing Um, you know, here's the other uh, pet peeve of mine: people that are just too damn impatient. Oh yeah, they want to change you know, it up or go to a different spot or whatever. I hate that. It's like the fish are here, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we gotta leave because we're not getting a bite. Yeah. I fish with a couple guys that do that all the time. It's like it's, it's going to turn on. You know, it's right. going to turn on. There's a ton of bait. You're marking fish. It's going to turn it's on. It's just but. noon time, and tunas don't generally like noon time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Uh, what's the next one let's keep keep it rolling all right um last two actually if you could have one superpower what would it be oh time travel (sighs) wow not even fishing related yeah wow i mean maybe it is it is is fishing related because i think i um over the years i've learned you know every year every time you go out fishing you learn something new right so if i could go back in time and do things differently than I did five years ago. Yeah, man, I would have caught so much more fish. <laughs> or go back, or go back to like Jurassic Park, Jurassic era. Park era with the stuff that we have now. Oh my God, can you imagine that? The, oh. dinos- the dinosaur tunas and swordfish. Oh, it would be ridiculous. Yeah, with no one around you. Yeah, maybe even that's... just going back fifty years and seeing <laughs> some of the swordfish south of the islands when they used to have them harpooned. You know. Yep be sweet all right what about you guys <sighs> uh, mine's flying because if i could just fly and find where the tunas were every day <laughs> catch them every day <laughs> mine, mine would be uh mine would be, be seeing through water like it was oh clear. yeah mm, that's a that'd good be one. cool like all the way to the bottom that's a good one just time travel not only not only for fish but just for purely pirates treasure yeah you know Billionaire right. overnight. Yeah, that. <laughs> find a big pot of gold somewhere. <laughs> oh. I want to ask one that you're you're too afraid to ask. Who is the best howd fisherman? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, I, I might have to give it to my my father on that. Oh, okay. Just you know, avoid the controversy with my brothers. But <laughs> um, no, my dad. My dad's funny. He. Um, he he's the one that got us into fishing yep. and he's just got that that instinct um about him but it's it's funny you know we fished a lot together and i don't think i've seen him on the rod more than once <laughs> it's really? pretty funny yeah but yeah he's 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 a smart guy in terms of you know thinking about where the fish are going to be and and how to kind of maneuver the boat that's did awesome he, did he uh did he grow up fishing or did he kind of learn fishing alongside you? Yeah, so he, he's from up in uh, northern Maine, uh, up uh, Orno, Bangor area. Yep. Um, 
And so he grew up fishing, fly fishing, actually, uh, like lakes and streams and stuff. And so he never was into the saltwater fishing, and we kind of learned that together. And so we pushed each other, and you know, through my experiences, I'd kind of share that with him, and then he'd be like, "Oh, that's cool. Let's let's go do that more and push that further and further and further." But yeah, he he never had done that prior to you know me getting into that really. Huh. That's cool. That is cool. So so, tell us a little bit about you know a little beyond that. So how did that you know grow to? having a boat, fishing the canyons. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, your story. Yeah. I think, you know, it all kind of started with that with, you know, we would go up to Ellsworth, Maine, which is kind of funny. That's, uh, it's actually where, um, West Mac is, is headquartered up there. Um, and so my grandfather had a little camp on a lake. And so I grew up fishing on the lake, freshwater fishing. And my first fishing rod was a five foot stick with five feet of fishing line attached to it with a barbless hook and i'd sit at the end of the dock catching sunfish all damn day um and then you know i remember you know continuing to graduate up and up and up and my father giving me my first real spin casting rod and putting me in the backyard with a, a rubber sinker and telling me to practice my casting before i could put a hook on the damn thing and um you know, just kind of graduating one step at a time, going from the freshwater stuff. And my mom grew up in Fall River, so her parents um, ended up in in Westport, Mass., which is actually where my parents live now. And um, so I started saltwater fishing there. Um, my grandfather had a little 13-foot flat-bottom whaler that me and my dad and my two brothers, um, we, we used to striper fish on that, you know, wake up early in the morning and make our way out to sow and pigs off Cuddy Hunk and, you know, <laughs> would be in the middle of the charter fleet that was coming out of Cuddy Hunk and, and the vineyard that were fishing the, the rips out there. And they would always look at us like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? He brings out, <laughs> he brings out his three kids in this little tiny boat fishing the rips of Cuddy Hunk. And, but we had a blast, um, blast doing that. And I think, I think the breaking point for that boat was we brought my mom out one day and you know, we had a good fishing morning and we were on our way back and you know how Buzzards Bay, we get wind against tide. It can get a little stacked, stacked up at yeah. points. And uh, it was kind of like one of those like qualified captain moments. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, had a, uh, we had a little bit of chop come over the bow of the boat and all the tackle boxes started floating around and the cooler was floating around and my mom didn't like it. Me and my brothers were laughing, you know, it wasn't enough water that it was like dangerous or anything like right. that. But my mom was like, yeah, that, you guys are getting too big for this. And a few years later, we ended up getting a 27 foot shamrock center console, um, with a straight inboard. So that was, that was the next boat. That's a um, sweet little rig. It, it was awesome. I loved that boat. The only thing that, um, the only downside of that boat was the range. You know, it was a little bit slow, and it didn't have quite enough range to get to the canyons. So I was always <laughs> trying to push that push that limit. Um, but no, we had a good time on that boat. You know, through high school is you know primarily striper fishing, um, but learning how to handle a, a single screw boat um, that that was pretty. Uh, it was, it was a good learning lesson. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Banged off a few pilings on that boat. But, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and then I guess kind of fast-forwarding my experience there. So in, in college, I worked on charter boats. Um, I worked on a charter boat in Newport, Rhode Island, um, the Howlin' Wolf. And so I, I spent three summers working for him. And we did a lot of shark fishing, actually. Um, we did inshore stuff, but most of the offshore stuff, he was kind of specialized in, in shark fishing. So I got into that and got my brothers and my father into that. So we did a lot of shark fishing together on our boat. I feel like that's um, like the intro to family's big game. Yeah, same with us too. Really. You know, you beat the shit out of your gear. You learn, you know, what breaks, what doesn't break, how to lead or fish. Yeah, you've how learned to so ruin much. The side of your boat. Oh yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Leadering the fish, though, that's a big one. You yeah, can, you know, I, th- I think, especially working on that charter boat. You know, we were fortunate. We caught a lot of makos and threshers and stuff. Aside from the blue dogs, and uh, you know learning how to kind of read a fish right and they're impossible to read half the time right and, yeah. but understanding when to let go and when right. you're leadering a fish angles line angles to the hook yep. all kinds yeah, of stuff all that, like that stuff yeah and you know they're they're strong animals so you don't want to mess up more than once <laughs> yeah i honestly think sharks are harder to wire than probably most of the big game fish yeah you know, yeah. just the way they can turn and like contort their bodies so their tails almost at their head. Yeah. And, you know, they, obviously they got, they have teeth and they, they look at you and they want to bite you. And when they roll too. <laughs> they roll. I mean, blue sharks are like, they're pain in the ass, but they're one of the most next thing you know, Next thing you know, your hands are right next to their mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Or they just keep rolling until your rod is literally wrapped around the thing. Yeah. Right. I've seen that. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean that. That's that's where I was going with that. You know, it was uh, it was definitely a cool experience working on that that first charter boat. You know, it, it was an eye opening to not only the fishing but also kind of being on the like working with clients every day. Right. right. You know, I I was never used to that in terms of I'd go fishing with my brothers and it was just go out there and catch fish and now i'm worried about catching fish but also making sure that everybody's having a good time entertainment yeah so that was that was fun the guy that i was working for at the time he was yeah he he knew his stuff about the shark fishing but man he was a screamer so i was like one of those guys that (laughs) just likes to yell oh man (laughs) not only at like me but also even at the customers young children (laughs) yeah he he would yell at anybody i remember um yeah i i was there my first year i was scared of him because of how much he would just yell at me just berate me um you know i'm a younger kid at the time i was my fresh freshman year at college and uh first time working on a boat i remember he was very particular about his swimming plugs and uh there's one day we would pick up the charter i throw the lines and we start just just jumped onto the boat off the dock and i had left one of our inshore rods with a swimming plug in the tower leg oh. and i got both sets of trebles into my oh. forearm oh. <laughs> like past the barb like in there good <laughs> and i'm looking at him and he just starts screaming what the hell did you just do i'm like don't worry about it don't worry about it and i'm like 
what am I supposed to do now? Like the charter's already on the boat. We already pushed off. So I cut the line, I grabbed some duct tape and I just duct taped the plug to my arm for the rest of the day. (laughs) (laughs) So I had a full day trip with the, like this swimming plug duct taped to my arm. No (laughs) way. Yeah. So I get back to the You really were scared of this dude. (laughs) Oh, dude. It was, but I also didn't know what I could do at this point. Like, I couldn't move the plug because both sets of trebles were embedded like past the barb. Oh. So I'm like, this kind of sucks. And he wasn't going to help me. So I was yeah. like on my own, one handed trying to do this before, like trying to get it out with one hand just wasn't going to work. I wasn't going to get the charter to like try and rip the, the, <laughs> the hooks out of me. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? My easiest option is just to duct tape the damn thing. We just we're, thought of that. That would have never crossed <laughs> my brain. I'm going on with this trip. I'm going to duct tape this. We are just talking SOB about that. to my arm. We are just talking about how tape fixes everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I get back and uh, <laughs> it's even better. So I get finished the trip and I'm like, all right, I got I to gotta go to the ER just to like kind of see if I can get a hand. And at this point, I'm like, I probably should make sure I've got a tetanus shot up to date because these hooks are a little rusted or whatever. And uh, so I'm, I'm walking to my car and he starts screaming at me. He's like, those hooks are hard to come by. Don't cut the hooks. Cut your arm before you cut the hooks. No way. <laughs> my God. Yeah. yeah, so that was pretty funny. They ended up, uh, <laughs> they ended up cutting the hooks. <laughs> oh, they had to, you know, cut my arm. Open this up guy a like just bit. get out of war. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he was like, yeah, he was he was a little tapped. Yeah, wow. good experience though. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So then what? Yeah. So then, um, kind of finished up college, and um, I'd studied marine biology while I was at school, and I was hoping to do some of that type of work after graduating and i ended up you know, where'd you I, go to school again i went to connecticut college gotcha um i went i went down there and uh it was right on the water and i was like oh perfect i can go fishing before and after class and yeah, go here yeah <laughs> but uh so i finished up and uh ended up doing um fisheries observing for mm-hmm. about a year so it's yeah mark I'm really good friends with uh, Decabia, so he gives me a real hard time about it. He's like, ah, such a pain in the ass. Somebody get those guys on the boat. But it was uh, it was a kind of an eye opening experience for me. Um, you know, being on a bunch of commercial boats, I did everything from day trips to fourteen day trips. Um, everything from you know long lining for codfish um, to you know pair trawlers so I, i've been on every single type of commercial boat from maine to north carolina basically so it was pretty neat to just kind of see how that other type of fishing truly worked um and you know i i kind of got sick of that for a bunch of different reasons but you know we won't get into too many of those details but yeah it was pretty cool you know I, every every time i got on the boat it was these guys here, their first impression is like, ah, oh, it's just like some some punk kid that wants to come tell us what we can and can't do. And by the end of the trip, like I was friends with half the guys because I could cut fish faster than some of these guys. And <laughs> I was like, look, I'm here to like write a few things down, but at the end of the day, I want to make your lives easier. So like, give me a knife and I'll get back onto the deck and and give you guys a hand. And I was like, I I 
when I'm not on one of these boats working like for the national marine fisheries, like I'm fishing. So like I come from a different world than like a bunch of these scientists. So that was cool. Um, learned a lot, but definitely realized that, uh, that wasn't for me and, you know, lost a little bit of respect for national marine fisheries doing that. But, um, so then I actually jumped from there and started, um, started working on the Canyon runner. Um, and that's where I really got into, um, a much better understanding of tuna fishing and, and how that all worked. So I got to fish with both, um, Mark de Blasio and Dean. Um, and so I had a, a blast fishing with those guys and I, I learned a ton from them. What year did you start with Canyon runner? Um, that was 2013, I believe. Gotcha. Yeah. So I went, I went down to North Carolina and I fished the the bluefin season down in, um, down in Attawanchis out of Oregon Inlet with those guys. Um, and at the same time it was, um, when my family was building the Tokotomist. So it kind of matched up nicely that I could kind of go pop over to, to Richie's boat shop and boat, boat yard and kind of work on that build as well as, you know, learn from Mark and Dean about the fishery down there and you know, pick their brain about Canyon fishing up here. And, uh, up until that point, I had very, very limited experience bluefin fishing or Canyon fishing. So, uh, definitely attribute a lot of what I learned from Mark and Dean to the successes that I've had. That's cool. We'd love to get Mark on. Dean's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Dean had a, a blast together fishing down there. Oh, so that was 2013, right? So I, what were we, you know, early twenties basically, right? Me and Dean. And, um, for the majority of the season, it was just me and Dean on the boat. So you get charters that show up in the morning and they're like, me and Dean start talking to them and they're like, all right, where's the captain? You're looking at him. Yeah. Like, you know, that both, happens me, to and, us both me and Dean had our ticket at the time. So, you know, it was like, you know, Dean obviously was running the boat, but you know, these guys couldn't believe that two early twenties were taking them out bluefin fishing and, you know, we caught a lot of fish. So we had a, we had a blast. That's great. That's sick. That's great. That's how those crazy client relationships start, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, that's funny, you know? That's actually how I met um, the Smalley brothers, the Smalley family, um, who's got the boat, tough guy. Um, They came down to the Outer Banks and chartered the Canyon Runner for a bluefin trip. And uh, I'll never forget that trip because they had the bright idea of trying to hook one of the giants on a popper. (laughs) (laughs) There's always one on the boat. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, they brought their, they brought their gear down to, you know, they're like, oh yeah, you know, Gibbs lures, we'll, we'll try and hook one on the popper. And we were like, I remember I was on the 60, on the Richie Howell for that trip. And um, I remember looking up at, at de Blasio and like, if they really want to do it, I guess it was, it was back back then. There was a lot of fish up on top down in the outer banks, and you could do it. You could you could cast these fish, and I remember we hooked one. It probably was like a three hundred pounder, and it was just like 
I think we lasted maybe like 45, 60 minutes. And uh, it was like, everybody was panting at the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, you want to turn on this? I was like, nope, (laughs) that's not my job. That's so fun. But yeah, like you said, that's how your relationship started. It was pretty cool. So I ended up coming up and fishing um, Damon's tournament up on the Cape. They invited me to fish with them, uh, you know, a few months after they chartered the boat down there and we ended up catching a nice fish and finished in the money. And, you know, so that was, you know, you really do develop relationships on when you're working on the charter boats. I'm sure you guys see that every day, but it's pretty cool to see that. It is a lot of our, our travel, you know, relationships all over the place have been because of charters here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool how that, you know, comes for full circle and works out. So the build on the Richie, so you're at that point now, you're with Canyon Runner, you're building the boat. So tell us a little bit about how, you know, the family boat and that program all came together. Yeah, I think that was, you know, it was a dream of my father's to, you know, have a a sport fishing boat one day. And so he started that build with Richie and we ended up taking delivery of that boat in the summer of 2013 and started fishing that and um you know the next five years were probably the the coolest experience you know that i've ever had having the ability to fish with my whole family for the most part you know we had that boat for five seasons and you know a typical routine would be friday afternoon we all meet at the boat push off and and head to the edge and we come back sunday afternoon sunday uh, evening it would be me my dad my brothers my mom came a lot of the time um and then like you know a couple fill-in buddies that we had a couple guys that would come with us a lot um but you know being able to do that with my family was like really cool i got you guys get to do it you the two of you and your your father it's like when you get to fish with your family it's just it's it adds another dynamic to it you know you get that element of the screaming at each other like <laughs> yeah. half the time and then you're, and you're hugging like, and then you're hugging yeah, yeah and then you're hugging and then yeah. you look back at it and you're like man that was really cool i'm glad that i got to experience that type of thing with your family so that's kind of how that worked and you know obviously the big sport fisher was new to um my family you know i was the only one that had really much experience even being on a bigger boat right mm-hmm. so um we we obviously um, had a lot of it was a, a bit of a learning curve. We had a lot to learn with the bigger boat and um, you know how to fish it effectively. So you know, the first season was kind of working out those kinks, um, working out kinks with the boat itself. But you know we just kind of we got to spend a lot of time on the water and, and progressed over the the next few years and we kind of did everything. You know we did. A couple trips out to George's on that boat, which was pretty fun. Sick, it's so awesome. Um, we did a bunch of trips out to the edge. Um, yeah, we we fished it pretty good. It was a fun time. Um, and you got into yeah. the tournaments with it. Yeah, and we, we we did a lot of tournaments, and you know we had a pretty good success rate in the tournaments. Um, He's being you know, modest. It was, it was fish. It was a fishy humble, boat. Humble, well. humble pie. Humble pie. <laughs> We got lucky. We got lucky. <laughs> yeah. awesome. No, you guys definitely uh, 
you know, over the years, we haven't been able to fish together, but we've fished next to each other many times. And I've definitely learned a lot from you out there. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I, and I think, I think the other piece that made it a successful boat is that you guys see this all the time, probably is, um, having a team, right? Like mm-hmm. and you, 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 between the two of you and your father, you know exactly who's doing what every single scenario, probably. Right. And yep. it's the same thing with me and my brothers and my father, when we were fishing that boat, it was like, you didn't even have to say anything. It's like, Every circumstance by the, the by the end of it, you know everybody knew exactly what they needed to do. Yeah, you so rig that, that you rig cool. that nice bally you put over the side. And you're like, hey Taylor, check this thing out. This thing's getting destroyed in about three seconds. <laughs> That's yeah, about exactly. as much conversation as we have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, cool. So how do you get into sword fishing? Yeah, so that's, we, the, uh, that's the main topic of this. Gotcha. Yeah. So we. Uh, we were bringing the, we kept the boat, um, we kept the Tokotomist, um, up in South Dartmouth in the summer. Um, and then in the fall, we'd bring it down to Stewart, Florida. We keep it in Stewart, Florida in the winter. And, um, so in the winter of 2014, we started sword fishing down there a little bit. Um, started off doing it at night and, uh, we did one day trip. And, um, actually got one on the, the first drop. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I remember my brother was super pumped because, uh, he rigged up a ladyfish and, uh, we got the bite on the ladyfish and we caught, we caught the fish and we're like, wow, that was, that was cool. Like watch the, you know, fishing down there is different, right? Because you got so much more current. Mm-hmm. So you have to maneuver the boat quite differently than you do up up north. You know, you're actually you know, continuously bumping the boat south, even though the boat is traveling north. It's kind of like a little bit of a, a mind game, um, and how you you drive the boat because the current's so so strong, and you know, the current's probably pushing you at you know three to four knots, but that's too fast for you to be drifting. So you got to stem that tied by about two knots mm-hmm. so that you're only going north two knots um so you know we, we were kind of didn't have high expectations the first time trying to figure it out and whatever and and watched a couple of videos and like wow okay this is cool <laughs> it works <laughs> it works you should have just quit right then <laughs> right uh. and uh so we were kind of hooked at that point but and then then um yeah, I, I think we were pushed by a good buddy of mine, John Pilcher. He was like, you know, you do this down south. There's no reason why we can't do it up north. Like, you catch them at night up north. You're going to catch them up during the day. So um, him and, and Jackson Parmenter, um, we had gotten to talking. And, um, you know, Larry Backman at the time, he, he was involved in that conversation. So. We're all like, yeah, let's, you know, we'll give it a shot. We'll see what happens. And um, so then we, we kind of brought it up to New England. And um, you know, the first first year doing it, it was, it was cool because you know, there was nobody else doing it. And that, that was what was like the, the most 
exciting part, but also the most challenging. Like you can't just go and ask somebody, oh, what, what am I doing wrong? Right. Because nobody yeah. knows you're what you're doing to wrong. Everything because, out yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was like a small group of us that had, you know, were constantly talking. And um, I think it was 2015, we really started to kind of get it figured out. Um, started getting a lot of bites, started catching a lot of fish. Um, I think we had one trip where we had like 14 bites in a day. Um, but at that point we were still like in a learning curve, right? We were pulling a lot of hooks. We were, we weren't, we didn't have the best, best ratio, but we, we did have some good trips where we, you know, I think we had, I think our best was, um, catching seven in like a, a Canyon trip. Um, released a few smaller ones, but, um, and that was in, I think that was in 2015, and so, you know, it just kind of evolved, you know, season after season. You just learn so much just by doing it. And it's the biggest thing. Like, people ask me, like, oh, like, you know, what do you do? What are the tricks? And it's like, you just got to spend time on the water. I can tell you how to do it until the cows come home. But That's the common it, denominator of, of every single podcast we've done. Every time we do a, do a seminar, it's you can tell everybody exactly what you're doing to the point of, like, the crimp you're using, the swivel, everything. You got to right. just do it. And, you know, those it's the... The extra bump in reverse, or the extra, you know, five cranks trying to tease the fish, that's what separates you. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and you don't really have a way to explain that until you see it, right? right. I always tell people, it's like, David Ortiz can tell you uh, how, to, how to hit a fastball over the green monster, but right. until you go swing the bat 100,000 times, you're not going to be able to do it at a high percentage. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. Um, so... But, I guess I kind of want to go on a more technical part of it too. So you got you yeah. got into it. Um, they've back in they've perfected their system. They're getting good. They're catching right. fish. Um, when so say someone hires you or someone you're trying to coach someone. How about this? How about you kind of coach us and the listeners? Like if you're going out in a boat with them from from start to finish of I guess hooking a fish for now. Like what are you looking for with with I guess to start water temperature, because that's like the first thing that matters for 95% of the canyon trips is water temperature. Does it seem to matter with swordfish surface yeah, temperature? Not, not a ton. Um, what I found is, you know, a lot of the time, right. We, it wasn't really until like the last year that we were, would do any trips where we'd specifically go out for swordfish, right. That's yep. a long run to just go and be like, I'm only going to go catch swordfish. Right. So a lot of what we would do would be like, okay, well, where's the best water? Yep. Right. You know, where's that, that bluish water? Where's the bait going to be? And you look for that. And that's where we would target for swordfish just because we were there for tunas. We were there for marlin. Um, and so that's that's what I'm looking for when I'm going sword fishing is where's the best water in terms of the water temperature and um, water clarity. So I'm I'm looking for that good water where I'm where I'm most likely to find bait because the sword swordfish are they're hungry creatures. You know, <laughs> you catch those things and they're filled. They're stuffed with squid. Yeah, stuffed stuffed with you know 
bottom, like weird bottom creatures. Some of the shit that you pull out of their stomachs are bizarre. Like lant- <laughs> lantern fish, like stuff that you would see in like a prehistoric book. Talk about dinosaurs. Fish, yeah. Dude, talking about dinosaurs, yeah. there's like some weird stuff to come out of their stomachs. And it stinks. Yeah. It yeah. Bad. So, so you're going more off of water clarity and structure. Water clarity structure, you know, finding like a little bit of temperature break. So yep. some of the best, some of the best trips we've had had not actually been where we knew of a specific swordfish spot that we've caught in the past, mm-hmm. right? We're like, oh, let, like the water's over here, right? Let's let's go fish there. We're gonna troll, you know, in the morning, and then we're gonna start daytime sword fishing. What we'll do is we'll go, we'll troll, and you know, hopefully catch a bunch of tunas on the the morning troll and what will while we're while we're trolling i'll tend to run um you know the sounder on bottom walk and and understand how deep we actually are and, and look for little bits of structure while we're trolling in in an area where i know that there's bait right and so we'll find some some like i call them little bumps and valleys you know there's a couple hundred feet deviations on the bottom where you see like a plateau where it comes up to like 1400 feet. And then there's a little gully on the back side of it where it drops to 1700 and then it pops back up to 1500 feet. And so that's, that's like, um, I drive over that and I'm like, Whoa, that that's where I want to fish. Right. Um, swordfish, they, they live in the canyons, but they also live in these little, formations that run off of the canyons um you know i've never had the best luck on the canyon wall itself it's always a little bit off of the the actual canyon wall where you find these little plateaus and valleys um and and so that's what i'm looking for so i'll I'll go like i said you leave the dock and you've got this plan of of finding the best water and, and then you go out there and if you don't have a spot already in mind, then you just kind of find one on the bottom hmm. and, and then let it rip. So bait and structure. You bait got, and structure is the numbers? biggest thing. You got any good numbers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. What you what, I think one it's middle bank? One thing I took from that, which is interesting, is you know, you're on bottom lock. So I don't think there's that many people out there probably on bottom lock, you know, especially when they're trolling, they're looking the top 500 feet, 300, yeah. feet, whatever for, for tunas. And maybe they're looking, you know, towards the bottom for a bait congregating, but to be on bottom lock kind of takes some balls that you're, you know, doing something different. You're planning on doing something different. Right. And, yeah. Uh, and that, you know, the 200 foot deviation thinking about like we'll refish all the time is still wagon. Like if you're, if your sounder is completely, you know, out to norm, a normal sounder from zero to 1500 feet, it doesn't really look like a big difference between 1500 and 1300 when no, you're, it doesn't. you're a full sounder. But when you're on bottom lock, you, now you're looking at still wagon bank. Now you're looking yeah. at 200 to 60 feet or whatever it is, you know, you yeah. know 300 to a hundred feet. Yeah. And depending on the boat, I'll, I'll have a couple of, you know, if I can run two different screens where I've got one on bottom lock and one on the, the full sounder, that's, that's even better. So you can see the whole picture of it and what it looks like changing over time. And then that bottom lock, but 
know, then you find the spot and you like kind of start dropping some pins down. You're like, all right, this is, these are kind of the areas that I'm, I'm going to try and fish. Right. And then I'll go back and I'll be like, okay, now let's look at the top 300 feet while I'm trolling around. Um, once you get kind of a lay of the land and then you, you branch out, you start exploring another area and you go back to what you were doing before and you start looking at the bottom. And one, one thing I've noticed is, you know, the charts are super helpful. You look at your navionics or whatever, and you can kind of get a rough idea, but they're never always like spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's useful to kind of look around, especially on the Eastern canyons. Notice that a lot of those charts are actually off by a significant amount. Um, really? Like might, how much? Like you, you'd be like, especially over in like ocean, you'd be looking at your chart and it's like, Oh, I'm in 800 feet of water. Oh wait, actually I'm in 1800 feet of water right now. Most guys, most people don't actually notice that because they're never looking at a full range, right? They're trolling around and they're looking at, uh, at their top 300 feet and they're like, Oh, I'm in 900 feet. Um, it's where I should be. And then all of a sudden you like zoom out and you're like, Oh shit, I'm actually in 2000 <laughs> <Yeah>. feet. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. it's just the, the charts off over there. Um, it's just shifted. I've seen it on like every single boat I've ever yeah. been on. Over I did there. actually notice, I, th- I want to say that like the, the, especially once you get up onto the wall a little bit, it says you're in like 450, but you're really in like 700. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of value. And if you're going to be doing any sort of bottom fishing, knowing how deep you are, <laughs> right? That mm-hmm. seems. And that's what you're sense. doing. You're bottom fishing. It is. It's it's glorified fluke fishing. <laughs> it's a cod with a katana. <laughs> yeah, dude, that is the name of this podcast episode, by the way. Cods with katanas. <laughs> All right. So you you quote unquote found a spot, right? And you're seeing bait. I'm assuming you're not going to drop unless you see bait or are you going to drop if, if you like the structure, but don't see bait. And before yeah. you answer, what does bait, I mean, everyone's sounder is different, but like what specifically does that bait look like to you? Like for us and herring, I know what herring that has fish with it looks like. And I know herring that is going to drive me fucking crazy all day. looks like. Yeah. So I, I think, um, if it's a spot that I just want to check out, you know, I'll pretty much always do a drop, even if I don't see bait, but I won't give it as much time if I don't see the bait. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the bait, bait for me is, it almost just looks like, um, you know, most of the machines at 1600 feet, it's just going to look like kind of fuzz. It just looks like fuzz down on the bottom and it, it's either, you know, it's usually not right on the bottom. It's a little bit off of the bottom. Mm-hmm. And it's squid for the most part. And if you, if it's really thick, you get like 300 feet of bait, like coming up off the bottom, you're going to actually end up having a tough time sometimes. Like there, there might be a lot of swordfish there, but you're going to get squidded up pretty quick. So that's just something to know. And like, and have in the back of your mind, I can't do a three hour drift because after 45 minutes, I'm going to have been squidded out. Um, but that that's kind of what I'm looking for is a little bit of fuzz on the bottom, like a little bit off the bottom. And it's usually about a hundred feet off the bottom. You start, you actually start marking that bait. Yeah. 
Um, and it does, it just kind of looks like raindrops or fuzz a lot of the time. And you get into an area where there's no bait and it's just a clean, clean machine. Um, so that, that's kind of what I'm looking like looking at, but there's sometimes where you don't actually mark the bait at all. And it's a spot that, you know, you've fished before and, you know, I've got a lot of spots that I like to just go try if I'm nearby and sometimes there's no bait and the swordfish are just there. Um, hmm. because a, a lot of what there's, so they'll eat the squid and then I've found that they're, they're, when the squid aren't around as abundantly, they're scavenging in the mud for all of those weird critters that you pull out of there, but like a lot of the snake mackerels and stuff like that. And those are the ones that are kind of a little bit more buried in the mud. Can you normally, when, when they've got the snake mackerels and the, this strange bottom dwellers in their stomach, they actually come up and their stomachs have a little bit more silt and mud in there hmm. in them, as opposed to when there's squid in them. You notice anything different, like with their bodies, like are their bills different when they're, feeding differently or their tails different when they're feeding no i i think all the swordfish probably i mean i think they all probably at some point or another feed on both squid and all that stuff in the bottom so i haven't found any real rhyme or reason sometimes you catch a big fish that's got a raggedy short bill and sometimes you catch a smaller fish that's got like a really nasty bill. And sometimes you catch them that have got like a pristine bill. It's like they've never touched anything with their bill in their entire huh. life. And there's, I haven't seen any rhyme or reason for that. Interesting. All right. So you found, found structure, found, uh, where you want to set up. Obviously you're figuring out where you're, how you're going to drift. And then, and then what, like, what do you, so I guess on the preparation side of things, what are you using for gear to catch one of these things? What's your, like, if you were to, if someone had 20 grand to get into it, say, what are you recommending to them for gear? Two LPs. Yeah. I, I, electric reels, I would not use anything other than an LP. Um, pretty much tried them all, and I love using the LP. Mm-hmm. Um I do use hand crank gear sometimes. So, like the hooker um, electric stuff. So, I actually, I'm, every time I've done it with hand gear, hand crank, I've done it with absolutely zero um, electrical components. Oh, cool. um, just a straight 50 wide. Um, I'd probably do it a 70 if I was starting over. I just happen to have a couple of extra 50s that I spooled up appropriately to to do that so i just filled them with 80 pound braid yep um solid or hollow core solid yep and um so i i use the hand cranks if we're fishing tournaments right so yeah obviously most of the tournaments you it's igfa rules right and so i don't actually even want to have the potential that i could hook a fish on the way back up with the electric engaged. Yeah. So I just use straight hand crank gear. And usually, you know, you fish in a tournament, you get enough guys on the boat that it sucks a little bit. If you don't get a bite, it's not bad. But you reel it up and it it is what it is. It's not the end of the world. Um, But yeah, I I would, if I was going out there and I just wanted to catch a bunch of fish and it was not tournament fishing, I'd be setting up two LPs, 
one that's going to be my tip rod and one that's going to be my buoy rod and um get a nice nice rod to go with it i think the the big the big part of picking out a rod is um you see you know instagrams all over the place you see people catching swordfish you know up and down the coast and everybody's got different types of rods and i'm always of the thought that you need something that's got a little bit of a backbone to lift you know you you hook a 500 pound fish they're they're mean (laughs) there's no joke to it right they resist landing often they they don't like to be caught (laughs) (laughs) and people got people get this notion that you know we're gonna fight swordfish with the light drag, and it's gonna be nice and easy. You don't need any. You don't I can't need a wait big to get rod. into that part of the conversation. Oh, uh, yeah. So you, you don't need a. You don't need a big rod. You don't need anything that's got lifting power to it. Um, it's gonna be fine. There's fish are just gonna swim up, and you stick them. Uh, so I, I'm more of the believer that you need something with a little bit of a backbone. But I do think that it's extremely important to have a really soft tip. I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more, but you know, the most important part of sword fishing is watching your rod and right. watching watching for the bite. Um, it's so subtle. Um, it, if you're not watching it and you don't know what you're looking for, you'll miss it. it it's it is. It's like a fluke bite. Um, it's 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 pretty cool to see it happen because you're like you start thinking about what just happened. You're like. A swordfish just swam and whacked its bill trying to kill a fish. That's impressive how hard they're swinging their bill. And that rod tip just barely, barely moves. Yeah. Right? Some of the time. Sometimes you get like a thunder bite and the whole thing just shakes. And you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) That was cool. But sometimes you're like, was that him? Was that really him? You move the bait around and you're like, see it again. You're like, oh, yeah, that's him. But he's not quite like smashing it yet so you say you get that subtle bite and i know you're leading into it but you get the standard subtle bite what's your immediate reaction my immediate reaction is to to drop the the bait Hmm. um drop it back to him i think initially when when i started um we were pulling the bait up a lot right and that that's kind of your natural thinking is like Oh, I just had a bite. Let me try and like set the hook type of thing, or let me pull it away from them and, and make them eat it. Um, and what you end up having there is a lot. A lot of times you'll foul hook them, you'll snag them. You won't get a, a really good hook set. Why so, do you think that is? Because they're over aggressive trying to eat it. Was since it's going away from them, or yeah, and a, a big part of it too is how much line you have out, right? So if you're fishing in let's just say 1600 feet of water, usually you've got at least like 2000 feet of line out. And so there's an inevitable scope of line there, right? And you need to get that scope out. You need to pull everything tight. And so that, that takes time, right? It's not minutes, it's like seconds, but you know, those fish are swimming around. You want to be able to get the best hook set possible. So I think if you, if, if you just try and yank it from them and they have just been swimming around and smacking at it, you don't have the best chance of just getting like a nice hook set. So I'd, I'd much rather drop it back and kind of mimic what you would be seeing like on a marlin coming up behind a teaser, right? 
you drop a bait back to them and they just they think oh i just smacked the teaser and now the bait's dead i'm it's drifting i'm gonna go ahead and just swallow it and so that's what i'm trying to do and that's what i'm trying to mimic when the swordfish smack the bait is i'm gonna drop the bait back at a slow speed trying to mimic the bait just kind of fluttering back down towards the bottom as if it was like stunned yeah and ho- and I'm hoping that the swordfish picks it up and just swallows it. It's a be- best hook set. Um, if you're trying to harvest the fish, is obviously a dead hook set. If, <laughs> is 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 when that hook is halfway down its gullet, mm-hmm. right? Um, and most of the most of the fish, honestly, up in New England, um, are fish that you can harvest. Um, we don't see too many small fish during the day. Interesting. So, um, terminal gear. So what do you, what are you rigging up on these, on your LPs and how are you setting stuff up? Yeah. For up, for up here, you know, the current's so much less than it is in Florida. Um, which is nice because it makes everything easier and you don't have to worry quite as much about some of the factors that play a role in, in Florida where the current's hard. So, up here, I'll use 80-pound braid, solid uh, solid core braid, um, and uh, I'll put as much as I possibly can on the spool, whatever reel I'm using. And um, from there, I have a, a wind-on leader, which is uh, either 200 or 250-pound. If I'm fishing a tournament, I, I actually drop it down to – uh, 130 mm-hmm. so that i'm igfa legal um but let's put the tournament aside and and say we're using the lps uh 200 pound or 250 pound and up here i only use like 75 to 100 feet for that wind on leader um and you know where it's connected i've got a bimini to a bimini twist on my braid and i splice a loop on the onto the um the end of the wind on attach it via cat's paw and and so that's kind of what i do there and and then on the end of the wind on leader i crimp on a 300 pound heavy duty ball bearing swivel and from there i've got about eight feet of 300 pound extra hard um mono that goes to my hook my hook bait have you noticed any difference with that last like your actual leader length over time have you played with it at all or is it everyone i've ever talked to that's good at sword fishing has said that like eight to ten foot leader length range have you ever done like 20 feet or fluorocarbon does it make a difference for the for the bait uh for my my hook bait leader yeah i've always kept it as eight to ten and honestly the biggest reason is because i'm when you're, you're daytime you're using a a big heavy duty ball bearing swivel. And so it's not like a, you know, one of the little spros that we wind on, mm-hmm. you know, when we're, when we're tuna fishing. And if that swivel is up, I want to be able to make sure that that fish is dead. Yeah. Right. Right. And so I don't want to have a 20 foot leader where I'm either, I, I've got the swivel up out of the water. I can't reel anymore. Now I've got to, like leader the fish by hand 
or take a, a hero shot with a harpoon that on a fish that's 20 feet down. Like mm-hmm. if that swivels up out of the water, that fish is dead. Yeah. And, and so I think that's the biggest reason for, for why I keep that leader short. Just because gotcha. you pull so many hooks right at the end, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to leader it. The, the, one of the big things that I've learned is you don't want to change the pressure. And I'm sure it's, similar to stuff that you guys see bluefin fishing but you change the angle of the fish and the angle of the line and the way that the pressure is and all of a sudden that hook finds a way to just wiggle enough to mm-hmm. to to either make a bigger hole in the the mouth uh, it, where the hook's in or uh it finds a way to free itself <laughs> yeah people people often ask i mean we have some pictures of releasing fish over the last couple of years and you know, they're in their final pinwheels at the boat and they're like, why is the rod, why are you pushing the rod over so hard and a certain angle? It's, it's two reasons. It's, and then the most important reason isn't really to grab the leader. Like we're all saying here, it's to keep the hook in the exact same place. Right. We're yeah. always leading the fish, you know, exactly. It's super important. Right. So then to your seventy six ninety one. Yep. seventy six ninety one. I've had the best luck with that. Hook. What size? I, I think it really depends on what you're using for bait. Mm-hmm. Um, anything from an eight to a ten. Yep. Eight oh to a ten oh. Um, I think nine is usually probably the go-to. That's what my wife says too. <laughs> <laughs> you wish. <laughs> uh, and your your what's your favorite your favorite bait? I mean, everyone can just Google swordfish baits, but like. Is there anything that's your favorite, your favorite color? Uh, does it matter? Yeah. You know, if this, if the squids aren't super bad, I love using a squid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are great baits. Um, eels. Eels I've been using a lot the last few years. They're just super, super simple to rig. So especially when the fishing's good and you get a lot of bites, it, it takes me like, you know, just a couple of minutes to rig up a new eel and get that all ready to go. And they're, they're really hardy. So even mm-hmm. if the squids are around, they might pick at them, but it holds up pretty well. So I, I like using eels. Um, we've caught a lot of, we've caught pretty much fish on anything that you could make a little strip bait out of, you know, mm-hmm. small yellow fin bellies, um, bonita, false albacore. And I used to have a guy at the, marina that i was at used to go love he loved to go catch false albacore and i'd be like dude drop every time you go out drop two in the back of the boat in the in the fish box and i will pay you back with swordfish steaks it's like that's the best deal i've ever made (laughs) (laughs) so it worked out for both of us but um i think that the key is something that's fresh and something that can flutter like Mm -hmm. swim nice it's just like you know, you want your ballyhoos to swim nice. You want your swordfish bait to swim nice. It's not like you're just throwing a hunk of meat down there. Right. You want something that's actually going to swim. So I'll actually swim my baits before I drop them down to make sure that they're swimming straight. If they're not swimming straight, you'll end up getting a tangle because it like spins up the whole entire way on the way to the bottom. Hmm. So you're you're actually swimming your bait to make sure that it's hooked down the whole time, or are you just making sure it doesn't spin? I'm making sure that it doesn't spin and it kind of almost swims like a a really good rigged ballyhoo. Right. Just kind of slithers almost. 
slithery snake. What about brining? Yeah. What about like brining, salting? Like, are you doing anything to increase the longevity with the bait, or just fresh no. bait, slapping it on? Fresh bait, rig it up, slap it on. You know, yeah. we 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 stitch them up pretty good so that they don't fall apart when they get whacked by a swordfish. Um, I think that's that's probably the only thing that we do to kind of preserve the bait. Is just a lot of lot of sti- loss, a lot of um, floss stitching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're so now you got your stuff rigged. You're getting ready to drop. Um. There's obviously a system to how you're dropping, so you're not getting tangled. Yeah. At least in the northeast. So like I guess let's push more towards the northeast. What are like some tricks and stuff that you've learned that that help you? And again, if there's nothing, if there's anything you don't want to say, just don't say it. But is there no, any, no, it's anything in, in helping someone that's new to it drop a bait down to be confident that it's not, uh, you know, tangled up and and all that? First thing is stay away from Tommy and then right. whatever. Tommy says. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Dude, you know, actually, that's a really good point because, um, you know, as it's become more and more popular, more and more people like, you know, are doing it, obviously, and there's this notion that you have to be like right on a spot. Yeah. Right. And sounds like blue tuna. Yeah. I was going to say, it's <laughs> like, I, I finally realizing the frustration that you guys must have, like sitting on middle bank or Southwest corner. And like you look over and somebody's anchored up, like at your floater, right. <laughs> like, yeah. yep. and, and with sword fishing, um, you got even more line out. Right, so you got two. Imagine two thousand feet of line. If that fish goes straight up two thousand feet away from you, it's going to pop up under somebody's boat if they're too close to you. Right. Um, so any anybody that is thinking about doing it, I think that's one thing to be mindful of is giving enough space from other boats that are already on a drift and kind of you know you don't have to jump on top of somebody to have a chance at catching a fish. Go off and explore. Mark, um, Mark mentioned that on the last podcast too, is short drifting. You know, that the most, we have so many people will be anchored up, you know, and then they drift by us while we're on the hook. It's like, if we go off, like we're either going to burn you off or you're going to burn us off. People just, they don't they think about just the vessel itself and nothing else, you know? Right. right. The fish swims once you hook it typically. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's crazy uh, yeah and you get somebody that jumps in front of your drift and i'm like i scratch my head i'm like their fish now if they hook one is going to go up underneath my boat right, yeah, <laughs> like, right. like why would they just do that to themselves um so yeah staying away that's just common sense um once so, you start doing it so when you're going to drop one thing we didn't talk about is well, actually you could go over it while you're dropping your swordfish line um you have a light on there or potentially a couple lights and then you have a lead so i guess while you're dropping go through like how you're attaching stuff and and all that yeah sure so i um start feeding the bait out and then so i've got you know call it eight to ten feet from the bait to that swivel Mm -hmm. and then i go another two and a half pulls so another 15 feet from the swivel and I attach my first light. So I'm using the, the little um, LP diamond lights. Yep. And so I run them in line. So I, what I mean by that is I'm feeding the little um, eye of the light 
through the line. So mm-hmm. I do that prior to crimping everything on. And then I just secure that light in place with a, a small little rubber band so that when I'm reeling it up and it gets the, the rod tip and it, it pulls, slides. it just, it just pops yeah. the rubber band snaps and it slides right down and it falls all the way down to the swivel. So yeah, so I go 15 feet from the swivel for the first light and then I go another 15 feet and put the second light and keep paying it out. And I've got a floss loop that's, um, usually about five feet from the splice where I attach the weight. Mm-hmm. And so the, the weight up here, we're using anywhere from usually a five pounds to sometimes when it's either a little windy or the currents rip in a little bit more and you're drifting. Sometimes we'll use up to like, you know, 10 or 11 pounds. It's very rare that we use that much. It's usually in that five to eight pound range that we're using for lead. And so I'll attach that. What I do is I, I use usually about 50 pound mono and I tie, I, I use about like a four foot section. I tie the lead to the mono and on the other end of the mono, I've got a long line clip mm-hmm. and I attach the long line clip onto the, the floss loop and I let it rip. And so what I'll, I'll usually do is I'll have somebody on the rod and I'll, I'll be on the wheel and, um, you know, basically going, you know, a couple of knots and having somebody basically just not free spooling it, but letting it out con- uh, like in a controlled manner. Um, and what we're trying to do is basically keep like a 45 degree angle on the line. So it's not, it's not just free falling, going straight down. It's not, it's, but it's also not like scoping way, 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 way back. It's kind of a, at a controlled manner. And um, the most important thing to do during this, it, it's probably my biggest pet peeve sword fishing is when somebody else like is, is on the wheel and you need to be able to go in the direction that you're going to drift. Uh, super, super important to let your bait out, uh, kind of using the boat going in a direction that you're going to drift. Otherwise, you're going to drift back on top of your bait and you're going to end up with a nasty nasty tangle mm-hmm. um so yeah so we'll let out usually about like 800 feet that's where it's nice to have the lp you got a line count there on it right. on my my hand cranks i actually mark the line i've got different different marks throughout the line throughout the spool so i know exactly how much line i've got out at given amounts of time um but i'll go 800 feet um uh, and then i'll stop the boat and I'll, at that point, free spool it. Because at this point, you've got enough scope in the line that, that baits significantly far behind the boat that when you, at this point, stop the momentum of the boat, I'll, I'll usually kick it a couple times in reverse to just stop that momentum. And the pendulum of that six-pound lead is basically going to fall straight to below the boat. And it's going to pull the bait behind you, behind it. And... um Usually you do it that way. If you're in 1,500 feet, usually you're hitting bottom in like 18, 19,000 revolutions on your LP. And um, and then you're fishing. And I think that's one, one piece that's important to understand too is I've seen it a few times is understanding how deep you are when you like actually free spool <laughs> <laughs> for two reasons. The, the, you know, I've seen it both ways and it's like, all of a sudden you're in two, 
2,200 feet of water by accident. And like, you're never going to hit, but like, you're like, holy shit. I'm like, <laughs> did I just drop down into like a crater? Right. And, um, and you're like, crap. And then I've also seen it other times where you're like, okay, I'm in 1,500 feet. And all of a sudden the LP stops like at 1,300 revolutions. And you're like, what? That, that's weird. And you, you got a fish on. The fish ate the bait on the way down. Wow. Right? It's, it's pretty cool when that happens. I've had that happen that's a few times. It's amazing they could catch up to that bait. That is not Yeah, it's going so freaking with, fast. With six pounds of lead. Yeah, and it just stops that six pounds of lead like in its tracks. And all of a sudden, you just see it just completely slack out. And you're like, I've got another, I'm expecting another 500 feet to go. Wow. I'm like, holy shit. Okay. How many times has that happened to you? It's probably happened about, I had half a dozen and maybe eight times mm-hmm. where we've gotten bit on the way down. I've caught in a few of those. That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool when that happens. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Because you're expecting it to sit there for potentially hours. Yeah. And you haven't hit the yeah. bottom and you're already on. Yeah, that's the best. Um, and that, I think it's more more common that you – I've seen this a lot more as you get to the bottom. And so and kind of fast forward a little bit when you're letting out, you'll, you'll notice when you hit bottom. It's just like when you're fluke fishing or cod fishing or whatever. You get to the bottom and all of a sudden like the kind of – the rod just kind of slacks out and you kind of – your line no longer has any tension to it. So you pull up. I usually pull up 100 feet to start. And a lot of times we'll actually start pulling up that 100 feet. And all of a sudden you just load right up. So that fish has just been following it down the whole way. Mm-hmm. And it waited for it to stop. And it sucked it in. Just swallowed that bait. And you start pulling up that 100 feet, get all the scope out. And all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, there he is. Like wow. he's already just he's already hooked that's sick yeah that's 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 awesome when you have that happen so you're reeling up 100 feet say that doesn't happen (laughs) (laughs) you're reeling up 100 feet and you're just are you just waiting are you always moving the bait every two seconds are you i hear different things from different people up up in new england i move the bait a lot more than i do in florida Mm -hmm. um we get less current so that bait's not gonna be you know slithering as much it's not gonna be wiggling as much so i move it i move it quite a bit i don't move it every two seconds but every five every few minutes i'll move it up and down i'm you know 30 feet here 50 feet there you know trying to stay within 50 to 300 feet of off the bottom yeah what uh with the buoy rod how how far off the bottom generally are you trying to keep that i mean i know you can't you can't move it you can't tease it like you're doing the tip rod so What's yeah. your what's your ratio there, your depth ratio for the buoy rod? Yeah, so I usually all the buoy setups you've got options for I got a couple of spliced loops for where you're gonna attach the buoy. Um, you know, usually a thousand feet, twelve hundred, fourteen hundred, those are the common ones. So I'm usually fishing at either the twelve hundred or the fourteen hundred. Um you know, this past season I did a lot of um, floats attached at 1400 feet from the weight. Um, so I'm figuring that that bait for the most part of where I'm fishing is, is somewhere between 150 and 300 feet off the bottom. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I think the, the buoy, the buoy, you tend to fish a little bit higher off the bottom. 
And the, those bites, you know, you're hoping that they just inhale it and they, they just swallow it down. There's a lot less, um, a lot less tension on it, right? So it, it's 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 a different play. A lot of a lot of the a lot of the bigger fish that eat the buoy, the buoy just lops over. And uh, maybe we talk about this when we talk about the nighttime fishing. But a lot of these fish, they they'll eat and then they'll swim up. Um, and so it's pretty cool. All of a sudden, you're looking around, and all of a sudden, the buoy just lops over, and you're like, oh. Yep, there he is. <laughs> you don't even see anything really on the rod. The buoy just lops over. Like, ah, that's pretty ridiculous of a bite for a 500-pound fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's unbelievable. Any, what other cool critters have you caught doing it? Um, Honestly, up here, not too many. Actually, this was the first year where we caught a, a, a new critter. We caught a, uh, caught a monster mud hake. A red hake really yeah 1700 feet of water like a 12 pound hake <laughs> that's wow. crazy that's weird yeah um that was the first time i caught one of those down in florida we catch a decent amount of palm frit like these crazy deep water ones like nasty um uh mong some ch- oil fish chong they call them in mong hawaii chong, freaking delicious yeah so good Palm they are really tasty. Really yeah. good. Um, um, caught a couple of oil fish before down in Florida. Caught a uh, a wreck fish once. Those was just like I, big grouper, right? Yeah. Yep. I thought that was going to be a nice swordfish. That thing fought hard. <laughs> That's oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, not too much other crazy bycatch. Catch some big eyes, which is which is. Um, fun when you catch the big eyes on that gear um they end up fighting a little bit differently do you immediately Um, know that it's a tuna no not always you know i had one i had one this year that i thought was definitely going to be a swordfish and it ended up being a thinking over 200 pound big eye but it you know right off the rip it acted like a swordfish so the bigger swordfish they what they tend to do is they fight against the um the weight right so you get a seven or eight pound lead hanging off of their face uh, the f- natural reaction of any fish is to fight the opposite direction of the pressure right right um so their fight they they swim against the lead the lead's obviously got a gravitational pull going towards the bottom of the ocean those fish swim up and so all of a sudden you're like oh you got this fish racing to the surface you're trying to keep up with the line as fast as you can and we had one this summer i was actually fishing on damon's boat um and like ah this has got to be a swordfish raced up to the surface and then back down and back up to the surface and all over the place and end up being like a 200 something pound big guy it's a nice surprise wild yeah it was was like one of those like chaotic moments so we were supposed to be doing like back-to-back charters like we had a nice little stretch of weather and damon called me up he's like can you come can you come jump on for like two trips i think i had been like on the books with him for uh to do one trip he's like we're gonna squeeze in two trips in like three days we're gonna get back we're gonna get this crew off we're gonna fuel up ice up and we'll be off the dock in like two or three hours i was like damon you I, 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 I you're like come on 
Like, you know, back in the day, Decavia and those guys, they could do turn and burns on the Canyon Runner because they were doing them, like, all the time. Like, we don't do turn and burns. Like, you got to, like, be pretty prepared to do that turn and burn. And so I remember I was like, all right, yeah, screw it. Let's give it a shot. And so we had probably, like, 30 minutes left of fishing on the first trip. And uh, we hooked that, that big guy. And we were, we fought it on the hand crank setup that I've got <laughs> because we were fishing in uh, that Northeast Cup tournament. Yeah, so yeah. it's all IGFA legal. And so I strapped this ki- this guy, the client, in. He's like all fired up. And uh, you know, we get into battle, and I like the whole time, you know, normally I'm fighting the fish at like 24 pounds of drag. That's kind of where I like to be. Um, anywhere from 18 to 24 and so I'm slowly just creeping up the drag as I'm realizing, I'm realizing that this is like a big fish and like, we're not going to get it in with 18 pounds of drag. You're just not having that. Right. And, um, so I'm creeping up the drag and I'm, I'm looking at Damon. It's now like two hours in. He's like, dude, we got to catch this fish. Otherwise we're not going to get back in time to get ice and fuel. And we got to push the charter (laughs) for the next day. So he's like, freaking out on me i'm like dude what do you want me to do you want me to cut the freaking line on this fish and so me and him are going back and forth on this and the guy who organized the whole charter trip sees what's going on he's like is fuel the issue i i am friends with the guy that'll have a truck down there tonight (laughs) so like he's on the satellite phone trying to see if we can get fueled up at midnight if we get in that late while you're fighting the fish while we're fighting this fish yeah and so damon's passed pacing back and forth like he's like what are we gonna do like we needed to be on our way steaming like two hours ago we're we're calling we're calling tim at mcdougall's we're like dude can we come in is there any chance you can send somebody down to the fuel dock if we get in late like freaking out and um obviously the charter is like we've never hooked a fish like this before in our lives like whatever you do do not cut this line (laughs) so i keep going over and i'm like you know like at some point you can it's i had the drag probably up to like a mid 30s um probably actually at the very end when i realized like the fish was like just not budging it was like you go up a swell and it would just take the line out and you go down the swell and you recover what you lost at the end we probably had like 40 pounds of drag you could it was to the point where you could hear like the Ting, ting, oh, yeah, no. ting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so I was like, okay, like, Guitar, not there's not piano. much more that we can wrong. do. I've, I've, yeah, <laughs> those don't ting, bro. <laughs> I don't know why I said piano, but oh my god, that's incredible. Yes, yeah, so we ended up getting that fish in the boat, which was nice. And right in the nick of time, no, not in the nick of time. We were about three hours late. <laughs> that's when you get we them, though, is when it's just an absolute to... shit show. Yeah. Uh, the charter the next day was cool. Yeah, I mean, we think we were supposed to leave that night, and Damon sent them a message on the sat phone. He's like, we're tied into a big fish. I'm sorry. We're going to have to bump until 7.30 tomorrow morning. They were cool with it. I'm sure it got them all fired up. We're going right yeah. back to the same spot where you were fighting the big fish. You know? Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, that's awesome. Well, I have an idea. Um, let's go over a couple of the things, but I think we should do nighttime sword fishing another podcast because I don't want to okay. it. We've already been right. we've already been going for an hour and a half, so we have two we have uh, two more questions for you actually, which will take us out of here. Um, 
I've seen a video of it. Maybe it's not the story you want to tell, but any crazy fish in the boat stories? Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I'm not sure this is the one you've seen, but there was one in particular that will forever be ingrained into my mind, which was um, the last the last big fish that we caught on the boat, the last one that my whole family was together that we caught. And it was, uh, I think it was 93 inch swordfish. This is like, you know, that 350 pound class fish, real good fish. And, um, it was one of those ones that gave us an opportunity to hit it with a harpoon early on in the fight. Oh boy. And, um, yeah, so we probably were only fighting it for, I don't know, 20 minutes or something like that. Maybe 30 minutes. Perfect. But you could tell it was like a big fish. It came up, did a little bit of a run, came back up. We were able to get the weight off. And um, it was back up on the surface. So we kind of scooted backwards towards it while it was up high. And I think it went on like one or two runs and ended up getting it back up top and kind of swam and kind of presented itself off the back of the boat and <laughs> I, re- I remember just drilling it i think my brother drilled it actually he was he, he jumped up onto the transom and just threw it with all his might drilled this thing perfectly get it to the side of the boat put a few gaffs in it and i can see the colors just like like blue and purple and gray just like almost like in an electric wave just going up and down the fish like it's just like like pulsating like he's just like changing a million colors a second and i'm like this thing's gonna go freaking bonkers in a second so smart thing to do would be put a tail rope on it and kind of let it chill out i was like and then i look over and i'm like oh shit a harpoon the dart's about to fall out i was like you know what fuck it let's just bring it on the boat and so we bring it through the door and um i'll never forget my brother's friend was on the trip with us and so we we hauled the thing in it took like all four of us to like we had like three or four gaps and pull it in head first and as soon as its full body was on the deck of the boat it started going bonkers <laughs> like <laughs> like absolutely flopping like crazy we need to put this video up i've seen i think this is the video i've seen yes. it's t- dude i'm watching your shins the whole time because you're barefoot video. aren't you you're barefoot i think i i don't even remember all i remember barefoot. is literally jumping on top of this fish <laughs> trying to like not let it fl- fly any further or go out the tra- out the out the door and I'm screaming at my brother's friend, close the fucking door. And he couldn't figure out how to work the latch. <laughs> so Gorilla so he panic. Kept closing the door and then the, would swing back open because he couldn't latch it. Oh so I'm God. like screaming at him. I'm like whole like literally bear hugging this 350-pound swordfish that is uh, I, I was like on a bucking bronco, basically. Truly. Like the story isn't doing justice until you watch the video. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. So that that one was definitely the the most wild experience. 
my mom was like up top on the bridge just filming the whole thing thank god she was <laughs> yeah like, it's like one of the greatest videos ever created but <laughs> what she's was like be careful be careful <laughs> <laughs> as it's a there's a cod katana in the boat <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what happened what was the damage and i'm assuming no one got seriously injured no i think um yeah i got a, a few rashes they <laughs> their skin is kind of weird i don't know if you've ever like really picked up one and put one in your arms but they'll actually like give you a rash oh, yeah. from yeah. their skin i call it the swordfish aids <laughs> <laughs> so i had like swordfish aids all over me like they freaking rashes all over my body um from jumping on it and uh but nobody got seriously injured which was a miracle yeah, dude. Um, and the boat lucky. didn't get too bad. I, we had like a couple of nicks in the paint. That was about it. Um, Easily could but, have you know, like taken off a, a toe or... Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Five stitches to the forehead, that type of thing, you know, oh, yeah. like... So what, yeah, have you, was, so what have you done as part of your standard boating process now with these things? Um, you know, usually we'll tie them off and... And give them a little bit more time to cool off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, no, I, it kind of depends. Uh, it's, you can kind of tell for the most part if if they're going to cooperate when you pull them out. And what we what, what I like to do is I actually hog tie them. So I'll tie their bill to their tail, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it like kind of folds it in half. And they can't really flop around too much when you do that. They kind of like do like a... A shake like yeah. almost like a, ma- a macro dance you know the like, mm-hmm. uh, macros like have the little seizure mm-hmm. right that's kind of what they'll do when they're all hog tied up that's cool um that's such a good yeah. story it's a good safety story too it that's is. why i like it yeah i've seen guys yeah. put like pool noodles over their their bills and just to yeah. be extra safe not only to protect the boat but i mean all it takes is one head shake on your foot yeah as soon as we bring them on we put we put a pool noodle over their bill yeah so, Unless they destroy everything right before you can do that. <laughs> I think I saw Galvin. Galvin got one two the other day, and he posted that the one of them blew the pool noodle apart, and he had some some rash on the teak and stuff. Yeah, that's, that's that was a nice one that he got. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was nice fish. fish. There's been some big fish down in Florida this this winter. They, yeah. I don't know if it's the, the fishing pressure or you know more guys are are fishing because of COVID and everything. Probably. Or I'm sure that's a big part of it. But there's been some monster fish. There's a lot of a lot of good fish. Yeah, I've seen a good handful over 500 down there in the last couple months. Yeah, it's awesome. Last question, and we have to ask this question to every Canyon fisherman that's on this. Hundred bucks. Five rod spread. You have all your fishing poles, all your terminal gear, all your ballyhoos, your hooks. Five rod spread, hundred bucks. What are you running for? Lures, skirts, whatever you want as to put in, out. As an everything spread. As an everything, everything spread in the canyons. Everything spread. And this is re- bucks. retail pricing. Going to a shop. I'll track so you can't cheat. Okay. Um. All right, so I'll start on. Let me start on my shotgun. My favorite rod on the Tokotomus was my bridge rod. 
I'd fish the center rigger off, off the bridge. So it was like right behind me. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'd fish that with a Joe shoot with a, with a Ron Z tail. Interesting. How much, and what, what's the price on a Ron Z tail? A couple, a buck, a couple bucks, bucks plus, plus 20 bucks. All right. We'll call you 25, 25 bucks right there. Cause you got to buy a pack of Ron Z's to have we'll it. We'll call it 25 bucks. 25 bucks. That's one rod. So choose wisely. <laughs> why the, why the uh, Ron Z tail? I think so. I, I learned, I started doing that with, um, with Dean on the Canyon runner. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's nice when you are burning through Ballyhoo cause it swims pretty nice. I would actually just do it as kind of an experiment, honestly, because mm-hmm. my, my, I had enough time and I, I my ballyhoo actually swam pretty nice and I, I had confidence in the ballyhoo, but I'd be like, yeah, screw it. Let's see what happens. You throw out a tail. And, uh, for some reason in that position, it caught really well. I'm not sure what it was, but it was Just successful. It. it probably caught like, I don't know, um, at least a third of our big eyes wow. on That's that boat, awesome. on that single rod. Did it matter the color? Um, I usually go with, uh, like a, a white yep. or clear, like there's like that, um, not clear, but it's like pearl metallic, I think it's yeah. called yeah, pearl or something. So that, yeah. that's the one I would go with. Um, usually with a, either a captain America, Joe shoot or, a uh, or a redhead. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so four more so that, rods. All right. So now I'm going to go on my. My right long, I'll go with Joe Shoot Ballyhoo combo. Okay, another twenty five bucks. Twenty bucks. Give me twenty bucks. Wow, wait. Hey, this is retail off the wall pricing here, bro. <laughs> this isn't like back door, like you know. Remind me not to buy all my stuff from you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, you're at forty five dollars. Forty five dollars. So left long. Left long. All right, what are you gonna What are you gonna charge me for? Um, uh, Islander Sea Star, little golf ball. Those are expensive. They aren't those thirty bucks. They are. I'll cut you a deal. You had a promo code. <laughs> you get that one for twenty five bucks. So you're at seventy bucks. What color Sea Star? I love the Sea Star, so I'm intrigued. Um, I I always had a blue and white rigged up and a purple and black. I love purple. Dude, that lure is, you can use it in so many different ways. Moneymaker, hook bait, you know, on its own, like flatline, it actually works really well too, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember we, uh, I rigged up one one year. We, uh, right right before everybody started fishing the buoys when it was like prime, Mm -hmm. um, we caught a, a handful of flying fish, jumped into the boat overnight. And I was like, yeah, let's just rig a couple of them up. And put them on a couple of sea stars, and we we're dragging those by the buoy, and caught a few blue marlin on. I remember one of them just came up behind it, and I was just like, "Whoa!" <laughs> drop that back to him. The fucking thing just came sideways, That's like sick. a four hundred pounder. It was sick. Yeah, that was this, the sea star with like a giant flying fish rigged up behind it. Nice. That's a nice. Um, so that's what one two, seventy bucks. Three, that's three, three lures. lures and seventy bucks. You have thirty bucks left to play with for flat lines or short riggers, whatever you want to call them. Okay. Um, man, I still thought that. All right. 
I mean, if you want, I'll give you a five dollar discount if it if it swings it either way. <laughs> All right. So now I've got th- thirty bucks on my my right short. I'm gonna go with a Moldcraft wide range. Good lure. Those are twenty bucks. Those are cheap. Purple, silver, and black. Good, um, good blue marlin, white marlin, and big eye lure, actually. Everything. Yep. Yep. Everything. Mm-hmm. I've even caught giants out there on that. Have you? Yeah. That I sucks. I, feel like I know giants. you guys have had that. Oh, dude. Gross. Dude. <laughs> gross. Giants in the canyons during a tournament are the worst. Yeah. Unless giants they're worth, the unless they win you time. said tournament, but. Yes. Giants in the canyon anytime are tough. <sighs> I, there's a story we won't have enough time to tell today, but that we've already kind of told it. The Jackson Polyball story with you guys was it? Weren't you on the boat with or he on the boat that, with you? Yeah, that was on the Tokotomist. Yeah, <laughs> when we we fought this one for probably I don't know two and a half three hours on a fifty, get it close enough to take a a hail mary harpoon shot, and, and uh, Jackson actually had an awesome shot right in the peck fin drilled it thing absolutely took off <laughs> took off i've never seen anything like it just burning the dart line at, through my hands and i'm screaming at my brother i'm like clip on another fucking rod to the the poly ball because we always have a a loop on the poly ball with like 300 pound mono clipped on so that we can clip another one onto Smart. it and um so we clip another 50 onto that ball goes flying overboard and we start just backing down, chase like he was like out of jaws, chasing down, attached now with another fifty. So my other brother gets into a harness and he's fighting the polyball. <laughs> <laughs> the first rod actually broke, like the line, the line popped. So now we're only attached to the the dart line, which is attached to another fifty. Oh <laughs> so my we're god! Chasing it down, and eventually, yeah, I've got a picture on my phone of us getting straight up and down on top of it, and you can see. I've got 300 feet of dart line, and so you can see the the poly ball down 200 feet below the boat, and 300 feet below the poly ball was the fish. Wow, that's amazing! Yeah, it was pretty cool. We ended up just luckily we hand lined the whole thing, whole way up, um, and, and got it. But that was that was a demon. It was fish. a nice fish too, wasn't it? Like like 500 pounder or something. Yeah, it wasn't like crazy. I think it was like 94 inches yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. It's just a mean one. Blue fins. That's why I said blue fins. Last rod. Um, Last rod. So I got what? I I got 10 or 15 bucks. 10 bucks. We'll give you 15 bucks. We're feeling generous. Um, He's thinking so hard right now. Yeah, you know, I. It's because he's probably run. 1,000 different lures. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I'm like, oh, crap. I could really Mold, use an extra $12. Moldcraft is a good uh, a good segue because, you know, the, all their stuff's fairly, I mean, it's cheap. And yeah. they're cheapest of cheap. I mean, even like a chugger over a Ballyhoo yeah. cr- crushes. All right. So here's what I'm going to do because I'm going to get creative with this. And I want a little bit of commotion in my spread. So I'm going to get one of those um little birds that you can put in front of like a like on a spreader bar yep 
I mean, run one, that like a little, like a little play action, yeah, a little bird. play action, yeah, okay, little play action bird with a naked ballyhoo Perfect. with a chin chin weight behind it. Perfect. That catch, was good. Catch everything. That was good right there. So you were you were within range for the most part. So that's 50, 70, 90. You're at one hundred and five. So we'll call it we'll call it a hundred bucks. Yeah, that's a solid spread right there. If you go on Alibaba, you could do that whole spread for like eight bucks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. uh, you could so, probably build like three spreader bars. I know. Yeah. So oh, we'll, yeah. we'll have to do another one. I mean, we can do it fairly soon. Uh, maybe when Brian gets back from a little bit of travel, um, we'll do another one with just day timing. Yeah. I mean, sorry, uh, nighttime. You know, nighttime fishing and yeah, how you get yeah, into that, that works. and everything because that's a whole yeah. hour easily. Yeah. Now this has been. This has been awesome. This has been a great conversation, man. Thanks so much for doing this with us. Yeah, it's been fun. How um, and, uh, how does everyone find you on social media and all that sort of thing so they can see the the cod katana video and uh, <laughs> the picture the picture of that dart ball like you know under yeah. So uh, my uh, Instagram, I guess, is Tokatomist, T O K A T O M I S T, and um, I'm on Facebook, Tommy Howd. I think nice. that's all I got. I don't awesome. do the Twitter or anything like that. But Gross. I yeah, we Twitter. don't either. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this with us, man. But yeah, man, let's uh, let's chat again soon, and, and uh, maybe we can chat about what the plans are for the summer. Be curious to hear what you guys got going on. And Yeah, we got a lot going on. I figured that much. You're more than welcome to come fish up in the bay anytime. I need to find some time to do that for sure. Yeah, it's been good. It's been good fishing. But anyway, thanks again. We're going to end it on OG's words of wisdom. Remember, you can't catch them if you don't have a hook in the water. Always trust your instincts. And the last one, you'll just have to keep listening. Stay tight, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. One thing we wanted to mention in regards to our guest and um, and some seminars and workshops that Tommy has going on and we have going on as well. The Castafari Offshore Seminar Series for 2021. This is a series of presentations from February 25th through April 1st, I believe. Um, it's every Thursday at 7 p.m. There's a keynote speaker or keynote speakers for each session. Uh, Tommy is actually presenting on daytime sword fishing on the 4th of March. Mark DeCabia, who was on one of our recent episodes, he has a couple of presentations, but specifically he's doing one on big eyes on February 25th. He kicks off the seminar series and, uh, and Taylor and I will be presenting on, um, fishing the bay and Stellwagen bank for bluefin on the 18th of March. There's other speakers, a lot of other great topics. If you're interested in signing up, you can visit castafari.com slash fishing dash seminar. You can sign up there, read about the guests, read about the, the speakers and the presentations and, and, um, and join for what's, what's going to be a great time. Um, it's certainly a great way to break up the, the winter months up here in the Northeast. So make sure you check out the Castafari offshore seminar series for 2021. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Seabros fishing podcast. We just want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Mass Bay guides, Costa 
sunglasses, deep apparel, LT Marine products, and Black Oak LED. Make sure you guys check out all those companies. The websites we mentioned at the beginning of the episode in the description of this episode, take advantage of the promo codes that we have through the podcast and, um, and support our, our partners and support the show. For the latest content, uh, podcast info, fishing reports, general updates, please make sure that you check us out and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Seabros um, Fishing, Mass Bay Guides, or our personal accounts, MBG Taylor and MBG Brian. Um, if you have ideas for podcast topics, podcast guests, you know, where they're on there all the time, very responsive. Please don't hesitate to to reach out and um, and uh, shoot the breeze with us if you, if you want to talk fishing or if you want to just brainstorm on the podcast. Um, also, if you are interested in getting some Seabros swag, uh, maybe one of our Tuna Mark patch hats that seem to be pretty popular. Uh, we came out with buffs this year that have like a wolf pack on them that are pretty cool, like a wolf pack of tuna or whatever fish species that you like to mark on your fish finder. Uh, those are also available at the Seabros website. So just visit seabrosfishing.com right there on the front page. You can uh, scroll through the, the gallery of products that we offer uh, so far. That's all we have for you guys today. Thanks for listening and stay tight.